Great to be with you. How are you? Good. Yeah. All right. Just checking. Got to check your pulse. You know, I know some of the guys were, have not had a lot of sleep this weekend, myself included, so I've got to make sure everybody's still, still awake. Um, we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9 this morning. And if you don't have a Bible, if you can just, uh, you know, let us know. And there's some people here at the back who will be glad to give you a Bible so that you can um, follow along in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. It's great to be here. We are really, really excited to be here. Um, this is the, um, you know, the latest church plant in, in Canada. So you launched in January, and look at that. You got somebody here the first weekend of March. So... It's, it's great, and I know there are, there are others, I think, from other, at least one other person from another Harvest Church here this morning, and we're just really, really glad to kind of connect with you and be with you, and this is how it starts. It starts like this, you know, and uh, so who knows what God will do in the next five years, ten years, and do we trust that God will use you and uh, use all of you in this room to see many people come to know Christ and see the kingdom of God expand Throughout Canada, our country needs churches like this church to proclaim the Word of God with boldness and to be seeking to worship the Lord passionately. And I was just listening to, uh, to you sing this morning. You know, a lot of the churches I go to are much bigger than this one. But one of the things is I don't get to hear when I'm in those congregations is as much the, the actual people around me singing, I get to hear the instruments a lot, and that's amazing too. But just the idea, just this morning, to hear you actually cry out to God, it's just so, so amazing. I'm so just so excited to be here and to be with you. So um, great to be with Quentin and Kim, and uh, thank you for inviting us to be here. And we're just really grateful to spend some time with the two of you and blessed by you. Thank you so much for your leadership here. Let's pray together, okay? Father, we're about to open God's word. We're your word. And we know that there is no other word in the world that can change people's lives. We get to hold a copy in our hands of the words that you have given to the church down through the ages. And we know when we open it up, it's profitable. It transforms people's lives. And so we're not just reading for information today. God, we pray that you would transform us. Give us something that we can walk away from here so that tomorrow we're ready to face the world that we live in. Um, just equip us with that. Help those who don't know you personally to come to know Christ today. Help those that are walking with you to deepen their relationship with you. In all things, we place ourselves underneath the authority of God's word now, asking that you would speak to us, Spirit. Change us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. And uh, we're going to talk about making adjustments today. You know, if you have a bad back, your back goes out. Um, you probably are going to want to seek somebody to help you make an adjustment. Either you're going to make the adjustment on your own, you're going to go to a chiropractor, you're going to find somebody who can help you with adjustment. If the financial markets go down like they did a few weeks ago, um, you are probably going to call your financial advisor and say, ah, if you, I mean, if you have anything to actually call somebody about. But 
you're going to call your financial advisor and say, hey, you know, should we make an adjustment? Is there any kind of change we need to make here? Like anything like that. So life is really all about making adjustments. But there is, there's one thing that's one thing that we have to adjust more than anything, and that is in our life we have to learn how to adjust our what? Our attitudes. It's the one thing that we always are confronted with. It, it may be a daily thing for you, right? It might be an hourly thing for you. I mean, even this morning I'm thinking about, mm, I can't believe my attitude was so bad in that moment. I have to adjust my attitude. It's just an ongoing thing where we have to, we have to do that. Now, it's easy to see that in other people, like, like this person, okay? So sometimes it's so, clear, it's so clear to me that someone else needs an attitude adjustment, like this guy. Like, I don't know if you've ever experienced this child in a grocery store or at a Costco or something like that. The, their mother or their father are just like, I don't know what to do. What am I supposed to do? And they're just like, melt down on aisle five, you know, kind of thing. It's... That it's very clear, it's very clear that that person needs an attitude adjustment, right? And sometimes in our interactions with our friends and we hear people how they talk, it's, it seems to be fairly clear to us that, that they need an attitude adjustment, but it's not so easy to admit that in your own life. Easy to see in others, not so easy to admit that in your own life. Like when life is hard and you start pulling back into yourself, you might think that all you want is, I just want, me, I just want this to stop, I want out of this, or maybe you start having a pity party, like this isn't fair, or God, I'm going, I just want to quit, I can't take this anymore, or maybe you get angry, and God, this is just so, so wrong, I, I just, you know, all these different things, not that they're in and of themselves, that they're wrong expressions to God, but if your life is like that for a long period of time, it's pretty clear to others that maybe you need a bit of an attitude adjustment. But maybe it's not that clear to you. Maybe it's not that clear to you. And when life gets harder and harder, I know that this is true of my own life, and I know I'm pretty sure it's true of your life too. I have to almost always adjust my attitude. Now this letter, First Peter, is written to a group of people whose lives were really, really hard. They were experiencing a really difficult Life. In fact, you can see that from verse 1 of 1 Peter chapter 1. The introduction to this letter goes like this. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are what? Elect exiles of the dispersion, right? Right from the very beginning, right from the very beginning of this letter, he calls them something. He calls them elect exiles. That means they have been called out ones, we see in these verses that they're supposed to stand firm in that calling, that they've been chosen by God, they're elect, but they're also exiles. They have to learn how to live out their citizenship, that they're they're being reminded that they're not just citizens of the earth, but they're citizens of heaven. They're elect exiles. An exile is somebody who has to leave a place and go somewhere else. They may not want to have to leave that place, but they are exiles of the dispersion. Now, he doesn't tell us exactly why they've been dispersed, but you can kind of guess with the whole feel in the, in the New Testament that more than likely the dispersion is because they're being persecuted for their faith. And you know that to be true because if you start to read First Peter, this whole book is about suffering. 
It's about suffering. It's about suffering for Jesus Christ. It's about because they have a certain kind of faith. They're reminded that they're living underneath unjust rulers and they have to learn how to properly uh, live with those rulers. They're, they're, they're suffering. They're suffering for their faith. They're being called to, to, to suffer for their faith. They're being persecuted for it. They're suffering, and it's hard. They're elect exiles. And so at the very beginning, at the very beginning of this letter, you get the feel that, wow, life's really, really difficult for these people. It's very very hard. It's very, very difficult. And so that's what makes verses 3 through 9 so amazing, because he starts his letter to these people who are chosen by God, but are, are being exiled because of their faith. This is the first word, the words that he gives them in verse 3. Listen to this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. That's how he starts. After his introduction, he starts his letter. And he says this to these people. And and God is saying this to us this morning. When life gets harder and harder, worship God for what he has already done. If you want to adjust your attitude, the quickest thing that you can do in the midst of the hardness and the harshness of life is worship God for what he has already done. Verse 3 starts with this word, blessed, right? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That word really means here, worship. It's not the same word as um, happy like in Psalm 1. Remember, how does Psalm 1 start? Psalm 1 1 starts with, blessed be the... Anyone know? Blessed is the man, right, who doesn't do certain things but does do certain other things. He delights in the law of the Lord. He meditates on it day and night. Blessed. That word there means happy or content, that this person is having a... That, that's a good thing. Or think about in the Beatitudes, in the Beatitudes in, in Matthew chapter 5 where he says, uh, Jesus says to his disciples, blessed are the poor in spirit because theirs is the what? The kingdom of heaven, Right? Blessed. Those words are different words than this word. Those words are like happy or content. Your life is your life is as it should be. Blessed is the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Here, the word blessed doesn't mean that. It, it's not a statement of fact saying that God is blessed. It's actually a statement of action. So when it says, "Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ," he's actually saying to us, "We're supposed to bless the bless." The, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's actually a word for worship. It literally means speak well of God. Speak well of God. You know, absolutely, God is worthy of our praise, but the emphasis here is not on his being worthy of our praise. It's actually on us praising God, ascribing to him, telling him how amazing he is. There's an intensity in this word. There's an urgency in this word. When life gets really, really hard, when it feels harsh, when it feels like you're even being tried because of your faith, things aren't going the way you're supposed to do, what should you do? Worship God for what he has done. Blessed, it's like it's, a, it's an action word. Do this, bless God, bless God for what he has already done. 
Bless him, praise him, ascribe his, his word. Let him know there's an intensity. God, you're saying to God, you're awesome, you're amazing. There is no one like you. To the limits of your own personality, worship God. Right? I didn't get, I sit, always sit at the front, so I didn't get to see you. I didn't look around today. I thought that'd be conspicuous in this room. So sometimes I look around, I watch people worship, and, and we all, everybody, we all have different personalities when it comes to worship, right? Some people are like, you know, hands up and everything's great, you know, that, that, and other people are a little more contemplative. You know, it, do, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what your personality is. To the limits of your personality, worship God. When life gets hard, what's the first thing you need to do? Worship God for what he has already done. Well, what has he done? What has he done? Look at what he alone has done. He says here in verse 3, We worship God, or blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. What has he done? He's caused us to be born again. That's like the John chapter 3. It's the story of Nicodemus, the Pharisee, and Jesus, and they're having this conversation. And Jesus says to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you must be born again. And he's like, whoa, like so confused. What do you mean I'm supposed to be born again? Like, you can only be born once physically. How in the world can that happen, like, multiple times? And Jesus isn't thinking about physical birth. He's thinking about, what's he thinking about? Spiritual birth. He's thinking about a spiritual birth, something that, that happens when, when um, through the forgiveness of our sins, the Spirit of God comes in, into us. We're caused to be born again. Now, who does that? God does. First Peter chapter 1, verse 3, right? God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. I, I, I didn't do that. I came to know Jesus when I was seven years old. It's to me, I, I can still remember the moment. I can still remember the place. I can remember I can remember walking up the stairs from my basement after our backyard Bible club meeting. It's it's as clear as day to me. That was when I came to know Jesus Christ. That's when I asked for forgiveness of my sins. That's when I was born again. Some of you have a different stories that happened later in your life. Maybe there was through a crisis situation. But I'm telling you, it was nothing that you did. There's nothing that you did. It was what God did in you. It's what God did in you. We have four grandkids, right? And our fourth grandchild was just born in January. I love being a grandpa, okay? Love being a grandfather. And uh, Hattie was just born. And her mother, she has two kids now. Her mother always has long labors. Okay, I'm talking 30-plus hour labors. Okay. Any women in the room think that that's a long, that's a long labor? That's a long labor, long labor. And, and I know this to be true. When Hattie arrived into the world at 9 pounds, 12 ounces, okay, 30 hours, 9 pounds, 12 ounces, what, yes, that's where all the amens go. It's like shock across the room. When Hattie arrived into the world, no one said to Hattie, Hattie, you're amazing, that's awesome, look at what you did. Right? Like nobody, nobody, I mean, everybody was like, wow, look at Hattie, that's great. But nobody was thinking, wow, Hattie, they can't, that's amazing. You made it through the 30 hours. That's just amazing how you did that, right? That she, Hattie didn't get any credit for the birth. Who, who got the credit? I know dad didn't. 
I know my son, my son didn't get any of the credit. You know, the credit got, went to our daughter-in-law. Our daughter-in-law. Everybody was saying to Julie, way to go. All the credit went to mom, right? Well, so is the same is true in our spiritual birth, birth. Like that, our spiritual birth, our new birth in Christ is not about what we have done, but it's about what God has done for us and in us. He alone has caused you to come to new birth. If you, if you know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, you should be like jumping up and down inside of your heart right now, realizing that it is God who has caused you. He caused this to you. He made this happen, right? He gave you the gift of faith. He gave you the opportunity. He's the one that did this for you. Yes, I know you responded to him, but without the Spirit of God, that would have never happened. It would have never happened. And he does this all because of his great mercy. Do you see it there in verse 3? All because of his great mercy. I don't deserve anything, anything but God's wrath and judgment. I deserve nothing but that. Right? And you say, well, how do you know that to be true? Well, because that's what the Bible teaches me. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. All have sinned and what? Fall short of the glory of God. Or Romans 6.23, where the wages of sin, the result of sin in my life and in your life is death, right? Separation from God, eternal separation from God. And you never get the good news until you understand the bad news. Until you realize that every one of us in this room have been impacted by sin, that we have personally sinned before God, and because of that, we deserve, because of his holiness, God's holiness, and the sin in our lives, we deserve nothing but eternity without God. Punishment, hell, that's what we deserve. But because of his great mercy. See, did you see that in verse 3? It was because of, according to his great mercy. That's what I love about God. He's a merciful God. He loves to extend his mercy. That's the good news. He, in Christ, because Christ died for our sins on the cross, we can receive, through our repentance, this forgiveness from God. God doesn't give us what we deserve. Jesus Christ took on himself what we deserve. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we could become, get this, the righteousness of God. That will blow your mind. Really. That's all because of his great mercy. See, that's what, when life gets really, really hard, right? I don't know what you're going through right now, but maybe it's hard. When life gets really, really hard, what do we do? We worship God for what he has already done. Right? And what has he done? He has, he's caused us to experience a new birth through his great mercy. Now, he doesn't stop. I, he could have just stopped there. But he doesn't stop. And he teaches us that not only this is what God has done for us, but there are these results that we get because of this. Do you see it? Do you see it in verse, verse 4? So we've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to and what? Inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Huh. We're born again, we're born again, first of all, to a living hope, right? And this hope, he says, isn't just wishful thinking like, I hope this happens, like, 
I'm going to go buy a lottery ticket and I hope I win, or I'm going to go right now. I'm going to go to Tim Hortons and I'm going to buy my little cup and I'm going to do the, the you know, roll up the rim and hope I win. You know, that's not what he. That's not what hope is. That's not what biblical hope is. Okay, biblical hope isn't just wishful thinking. It's not just an idea. It's a certainty. Okay, it's a certainty, a certainty that's an alive in us. Do you see that? He says he's given, uh, given a hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The certainty that's alive in us. It just says Christ rose from the dead, so we will rise. Those who are dead in Christ will rise when he returns. That's certain. That's a certainty. That's, that's what's in you. If you've been truly born again, if you've been truly born again, and because of God's great mercy, he's caused you to be born again. He's given you. He's giving you a hope in you, like a certainty, a certainty of what the future's like for you. Take it to the bank certainty, right? And not only that, he's given you an inheritance. When my, uh, when my grandpa died, he left me two things, and you're not going to be impressed. None of you will be impressed, but I'm going to tell you the story anyways. You're not going to be impressed with things, but he left me two things. He left me a ring, not this ring, but he left me a ring, and on that ring are his initials, WSB, William Strathcleave Bishop. And he was from Newfoundland, and my grandpa used to be a, a baker on a naval ship. And, um, well, he has all these stories that I could tell you about my, my grandpa on this. Uh, he used to bake for all the, all the guys on the ship, and, and he had this ring that he wore all the time. And, it just, and every time I see it, I got it tucked away, but every once in a while I'll pull it out and look at it, and it reminds me of him, WSB, William Strathcleave Bishop. And then he left me a cribbage board, okay, which is, he's from Newfoundland, so it's carved out of the tusk of a seal. Okay, right? Please, please don't, no, don't attack me afterwards. Okay, I think I'll be safe in Alberta. <laughs> Some provinces, I can't tell this story, but I think I might be okay here. Maybe not. I'm not sure. So anyways, he, it's carved. It's a, a, a seal's tusk. It's carved, and it, it's like pressed with these. And you're saying, well, why is that so important to you? Because every time I went to my grandpa's house, I would go down into his basement, and he had this room, and he had a table set up, and we always played cribbage. We would sit down, and we'd sit down at this table, and he taught me how to count 15, 2, 15, 4, 15, 6. A run is 7, is 13. Like, he taught me how to play the game. He taught me how to play the game. He taught me the strategy of the game. I can remember sitting down with him. That was like, that's, you know, you think, I knew you weren't going to be impressed, right? But those things mean so much to me because they remind me of my grandpa. It's not, not a boatload of money. It's not any of those things. But, but that's the inheritance I love. Every time I see it, I have these memories. But if you are a child of God, you have an inheritance. It's called heaven, the new heavens, the new earth, that, are, that is imperishable. It can never perish. It is undefiled. It never spoils. In other words, it has no shelf life to it. There's no expiry date attached to this. No barcode, no date that says best after or best before, right? It's, it's not unfading. It'll always last forever. It's not like those old pictures that we used to take that yellowed in time, right? It's not like that, and it's kept. 
It's kept for you. It's secure. It's certain. It's kept reserved for you by God himself. God himself has reserved this for you. And as great as the ring is for me in my memories, and as great as the cribbage board is for my memories, this is like so much better, is it not? Who can say, any, who can say that about any kind of inheritance? Now, some of you are holding out, not for a ring and a cribbage board, but you're holding out for like 100K, right? Maybe, maybe I'll get that. Maybe I'll get that. I mean, who, who hopes, right? Look, you, you shouldn't smile at that. I've got your... Your parents are sitting right over there, man. Like, I just, you might, you might want to start praying is what I would say about that. But here's the thing, like, just think about it, being left $100,000. I mean, our inheritances, when we receive our earthly inheritances, it, after the government gets a hold of it, and after you go on your spending spree, you know, in a very short period of time, it's all gone. It's all gone. Fades away. Perishes. Poof. But not if you're a child of God. You always have this. You always have this hope. You have this certainty. You have this eternity. Right? Not this inheritance. This inheritance is, is eternity. And the last time I checked, eternity means eternity. Forever. That's what, you're, that's what you have waiting for you. You see, when life gets really, really hard, what do you need to do? You need to worship God for what he has already done. You have to worship God for what he's done. Why? Why do you have to do that? Because no matter how hard this life gets, you have that. Nobody can take that from you. You have this. You have eternity waiting for you. You have an inheritance that doesn't fade. It never perishes. It's kept for you. It's secure by God himself. That's what's waiting for you. That's why it's so important. When life is hard, we worship God for what he has already done. In Christ, no matter what is going on, you still have this. You have a living hope and inheritance of salvation and eternity. There's nothing greater, nothing more important than this. I can just imagine these people who have been exiled from their homes they're, ex- they're exiles of the dispersion. They're bringing, they don't know where they're going. They're spread out all over the place. And it's all because they're followers of Jesus Christ. And Peter reminds them, don't forget. Don't forget what you already have. Nobody can take this away from you. You can lose your house. You can lose everything. You will not lose this. And if you want your attitude to change, that's the fastest way you can change it. Remember, worship God for what he has already done. And now note this in verses 5 through 9. Worship God for what he is doing. Worship God for what he is doing. Now the key phrase here in this section is down in verse 6. So just go down to verse 6 and look at the first phrase. In this you rejoice. In this you rejoice, okay? When life is hard, when life is hard, when life is hard, he says... Rejoice, right? So there's a sense of, when I start reading these verses, there's a sense of anticipation for me. I'm kind of curious now because when life is hard, I'm not, you know, when life gets really hard, I, would, I just want to be honest, I'd just rather complain about it. 
I'd just rather complain about it and, and you know, if, if Brenda were brutally honest, she could tell you, yeah, I'm really good at that. I have a PhD in complaining. And um, I, or I'd like to feel sorry for myself. Yeah, I like it, but, 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 but he's, Peter's saying to these people who've lost everything in the name of Jesus, rejoice, rejoice. We're called to rejoice. Now, that doesn't mean they're supposed to ignore what's happening in their life. That doesn't mean you're supposed to numb the pain of what's going on in your life, but they're supposed to have a confidence in knowing that God is at work. That's what it means to rejoice here, having this confidence in knowing that God is at work, that God is up to something, that he's doing something. What is he doing? Well, in verses 5 through 9, as we're going to see just in a moment, God is working on their faith. Three times, verse 5. Do you see it in verse 5? Do you see the word faith there in verse 5? You are being guarded through faith for salvation. In verse 7, it says, so that the test of genuineness of your faith. And then in verse 9, obtaining the outcome of your faith. Three times in these, four, these verses, it's saying it's all about faith. It's all about faith. God is working on their faith. Here, faith means a belief in God that results in their faithfulness to God. So why is God working on their faith? Well, let's look at it. Verse 5. Who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So, you want to stand up? Can I use you as an illustration this morning? Okay, great. I really appreciate that. So, um, what he's saying here is that, is that let's read it again in verse 5. Let's make sure we get the words right here in verse 5. Who, by God's power, you're being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So he says, this is what God's power does for you. God's power, God's power guards you. Okay, don't move back. Don't. This is not a trust exercise. Okay, all right? Just go with me on this, okay? It's like God's power guards you. He says God's power is going to guard you. It's like a secret service detail around you. Nobody can get, nothing can get at you because God is, is he, God's power is surrounding you. Anyone, any kind of enemy wants to come after you, it, Satan wants to come after you, anybody wants to come after you, God's power is going to surround you, okay? So that's what it's like, okay? Thank you so much for giving that illustration. That's what God's power, that's what God's power does. But notice what he says here in verse 5. Who by God's power you're being guarded through what? Through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So he's saying here that God uses our faith to guard our salvation. Like a shield over us, God's power guards us to take us right to the end so that we can get that inheritance. But it works in conjunction with our faith. Right? Faith is, in other words, faith becomes the means by which God's power guards us. God's enabling protective power in our life, in your life, produces in you an increased faith and faithfulness to God, and that becomes your security. Pay attention to this. This is important. God knows what's important. God knows what's absolutely essential for your life. He wants his power to be enabled in your life, and the way that he enables his power in your life is by increasing your faith in him. 
Because God is good and because his steadfast love endures forever, the God of grace wants what's best for you. And what is best for you is that he would use the trials of your life to test your faith. Rejoice! That's what he's saying there. He's saying that rejoice. Look at verses 6 and 7. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. God works on our faith. He uses our faith to guard our salvation. That's how his power works. And he uses trials to test our faith because he knows that's what's most important. He's testing to discover and to refine our faith. And he uses an illustration. So I'm not going to come up with a new one. I'll just kind of use the one that's right in the Bible. Right right there. It's an illustration of gold. And um, gold is purified through fire or refined at 1,093 degrees Celsius. Okay? So that's hot, right? It's a lot warmer than here, right? 1,093 degrees. What happens is at 1,093 degrees, this, you know, when gold comes out of the ground, it's not like perfect. It's not like it doesn't come out as a bar. Did you know that? They actually dig, you know, it doesn't, doesn't come, they don't, they, you know, the workers don't come up from the mine with these bars. There, there's there, gold, it's got all this different stuff attached to it. And what happens to refine it, to get to the real gold, to get rid of all the other stuff, they have to amp up the temperature, 1,093 degrees, which is just a little bit under molten lava. So that's how hot it is. And so the gold goes in that, and all the impurities, all the impurities separate from the actual gold at that point. And so you could see the picture, it'd be like you could, they would rise to the top, they can scrape them off, and then you're left with what is actually pure gold. It's like that's, that's what it is, 1,093 degrees. The impurities come to the surface, they just kind of take them off. And I, I, love what, I love what he says. Like That to me sounds like just amazing to see, see that that's how it happens. But he says, you know... God wants to test the genuineness of your faith because it's more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. In other words, as pure as gold as pure as gold is and as precious as that is to many people in this lifetime, it still perishes. But when your faith, when your faith goes through the challenging times of life, the really, really hard times of life, when God, when, when life turns up the temperature in your life up to 1,093 degrees Celsius, when it gets really, really uncomfortable, when it gets really, really hot, you know what God's doing? He's testing your faith. He's trying to purify your faith. Why would he do that? Because he knows that your, your faith in him with his power will carry you to the day of salvation. And so he's investing in your faith. That even though that gold perishes, your faith will never perish. It'll get purified. It gets refined. And over and over again in, the, in life, that's what happens. In fact, he even rewards that kind of faith. In verse 7, we're not sure if this means like, like the, the reward goes to Jesus Christ or Jesus Christ is going to reward us, but it results in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
right? So don't, don't understand, you got to understand this. Hard times are not the wastelands of your life. Do you understand that? The desert moments, we call them that. We call them the desert moments, the dry moments in our life when it seems so hard, it seems so difficult, things are pressing in. Those are not the wasteland times of your life. Those are actually, those are actually, God is... God is taking those moments and he's making you into something much more precious than you are even right now. And he's strengthening your faith so that his power will be in you and through work through you and carry you through. It's not wasteland. It's good time. Right? It doesn't feel like that, does it? It doesn't feel like that. It doesn't feel like that at all. It feels hard. It feels harsh. It feels so difficult. But that's how God works. He's doing something absolutely significant inside of you. He's growing you. He's making you into the person that he wants you to be. In this, you rejoice. That's what, that's what Peter's saying. He's saying to these people who have lost everything because of their faith in Jesus Christ. They've lost everything. Don't forget, worship God for what he is doing. Not just what he has done, praise the Lord, but what he is doing. You're saying, well, how do I know if I have that right kind of faith? Well, look at verse 8. He describes what that faith looks like. He says, though you have not seen him, you love him. In other words, he's looking back and he's saying, these people are the same as us. They lived in a time where they weren't, al- they weren't alive or they weren't there when Jesus was in Jerusalem and when he was crucified. They never met him personally. But though they had not seen him, they still love him, right? That's you if you're in Christ. That's exactly what you're like. That's, that's proof that you have that's this, the kind of faith. And he goes on. He goes on in verse 8. He says, not only that, but though you do not now see him, you believe in him. In other words, you can't see him now either, can you? But, but you still believe in him, don't you? That's what the hard times do. The hard times increase your confidence in the God you can't see. And, and though you do not now See him, you believe him, and you also rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, and that is that your, your confidence is increasing in the promises and the plans and the provisions of God for your future. You're actually able to express joy in the midst of the pain because that's what trials do. They increase your confidence in God. They increase your confidence in God. They can. They can do that. They can increase your confidence in God. They can. And so he says this in verse 9, so you obtain the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I shared briefly a little bit yesterday with some of the men, those of you who were at the, at the conference, just a little bit of how 2017 has been a hard year for us. You know, Brenda and I, I think we would probably say if we could do a do-over with 2017, we'd probably do a do-over, you know. Um, I, you know, Brenda would say, well, I'm really glad it's January 1st. Just, you know, how you kind of mentally turn the calendar page. 
you know, lots of, we had, went through a lot of change, right? A lot of loss. We changed jobs, we changed countries, we had to change churches. We moved away from our friends again. We had to start over again, again. My mom died. Yeah, so much related to that. If necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Yeah, so I, I, on one hand, I really like to do it over. But, you know, on the other hand, on the other hand, 2017 has been an extreme gift of God's grace to me. It's just been amazing to see how God has redeemed all of it. I've just been reminded of what's important. You know, I've been reminded of what God's already done for me. As hard as life can get, as hard as life can get at times, I know what's next is better. It's greater. It's more. It's best. It's amazing. Absolutely amazing. All God's grace. And, and I've experienced how God has increased my faith in him and my faithfulness to him, that I actually, I actually have confidence that he knows what he's doing, you know, that he's going to provide, that he has a plan, that he, he's promised to take care of us. He's going to take care of us. That's what he's going to do. Grace of God. In this you rejoice. How about you? You know, I just love how being in Christ can change your attitude, no matter how big the challenge. Worship God for what he's already done for you. Remember, God's using the fire of your life, the fire times of your life to increase your faith in him and make you more faithful to him, to increase your dependence on him, to give you greater confidence in him. Worship him for what he's doing. Let's pray together. So, Father, I just, uh, I, you know, there are so many stories in this room. There are, um, there are mountaintop experiences that can be shared. There are valley experiences. And I'm reminded again that even though the mountaintops are great experiences, it's pretty dry on top of the mountain at times. And it's really the valley times in our life where the water runs down and the rain just runs down the mountain. And that's where the valleys, in the valley where everything grows. That's where it grows. Sometimes we don't want to be in the valleys. We want to be on top of the mountain. But God, you know what? It's the valleys where everything grows. It is. Sometimes we think we're in the desert, and we're not really in the desert at all. We're in the, we're in the valley, and, and things are starting to grow. So I, I've seen it in the faces this morning. I've, I, I know what it's like in my own life, and I know I... I I've watched these eyes today. And God, we, we just need to remember that uh, we have to worship you for what you've already done. Oh, what an amazing, amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Nobody can take that from me. No one. Secure in the Father's hand. Nobody is snatching me out of the Father's hand. 
God, I pray that we would all know that today, those of us who are in Christ, those of us who are not in Christ here today, I pray that you would even in this moment, Spirit, bring them to a point where they realize their sin and their need of you as a Savior, and they would be able to have the same kind of confidence that the rest of us have, eternity forever with you. And I pray for my brothers and sisters here this morning who are experiencing the great pain of life. And God, I pray that we would always remember that you are good and that the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. Yes, Father, you are good. And your steadfast love endures forever. Yes, you are. You are good. And your steadfast love, your grace, your mercy endures forever. We believe that today. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.